You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. If you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, in a moment we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 1, but I want to start in chapter 4. <laughs> you know, because I'm a preacher and I've got to be confusing, right? So uh, the Hebrews 4, verse 12, we're going to begin. I think it sets the scene for a little bit of the theme of today's message. Hebrews 4, verse 12, and we're going to look at verse thir- 12 and 13, and then we're going to go over to Hebrews 1, and then we have a little bit of an introduction, and we'll, we'll kind of walk through some of those um, verses in chapter one. Today is going to be centered on Jesus. As you'll notice today in the message, in the themes, that it's gonna sound a lot like the book of Colossians we just worked through. I would say Colossians and Hebrews are, you know, brother and sister almost in their themes. They're the same kinds of ideas that are being proclaimed. But today, we're focusing a lot, uh, at least the message has gotten me to the point where I've been thinking a lot about the Word of God. Today, we're going to be talking about the Word. Jesus is the Word. And God speaking His Word. And today, this is one of the premier passages, you could say, on the Word of God, both the Scripture and Jesus being the Word Himself as it's communicated to us and the fact that our God is a communicating God and a revealing God. And so let's read in Hebrews 4, verse 12, to set our minds in the right posture as we approach it. It says, for the word of God is living and active. Living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And it's as if this word that God speaks, it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It speaks into you. Even in this moment where you sit, God's word speaks to you. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. It almost tears you up and exposes to you who you are and then it heals you from within. And it says that nobody, verse 13, no creature, is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This word is a powerful passage speaking to the authority and and the, the piercing power of God's spoken word. So let's then jump over to Hebrews 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, Long, long time ago, not Star Wars or anything like that, but long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. It's like we could almost stop there, but I have to keep going. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom Also, he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high 
This is some of the theme we'll look at more next week, but in verse four it says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much or more excellent than theirs. All right, so this, this journey into the book of Hebrews, we're gonna pause there for now. Uh, this journey that we're beginning today, I, I want to kind of give us a little bit of an introduction to the book of Hebrews before we kind of dive into this idea of God speaking the word to our forefathers, to our ancestors, you could say, to the Old Testament prophets, and now to us through Jesus the Son, and how Jesus is better than everything. I was thinking about this book of Hebrews, and I, I will admit there, there are times when I, I've been uh, talked to several times about like, hey, well, you should preach the book of Hebrews, and I think I mentioned this before, but the book has always intimidated me. It's a, it's a very uh, deep book. It's a very, uh, not necessarily complicated book, but I guess you could say uh, a challenging one. And that the book is, is reflective of scripture, that scripture in a sense refers to itself all the time. I heard somebody talk about the Bible trying to explain it to unbelievers and people who aren't churched as they try to encounter the Bible for the first time. They, they have one of these leather-bound books and it, it can be a little intimidating, right? You, you open it and, and this is kind of what we did in our summer series, Long Story Short, as we took the whole story of the Bible and tried to really break it down so we could fully understand and grasp the greater storyline. And yet when we find this, I heard somebody was talking about it as they're explaining what the Bible is. They, they said, well, think of it this way. It's, it's like the first hyperlinked text. Yeah. You know what a hyperlink is? Some of you techie people, or, guru, you, or some of you might not even know what a hyperlink is, but you click on it all the time. You're online or you're reading something and you click on one of those words that's blue and underlined. And as you click on it, it takes you to another article somewhere else backing up or explaining that phrase. So you're reading an article online and it says something about something else or you're on Wikipedia and you're reading you know, the, the, the absolute truth, which is Wikipedia, right? And you, you click on that and you click on some name and it brings you to another website or another page explaining that thing. And you can do that constantly. It's a hyperlinked text. It's bringing you constantly back and forth and referring to itself and the authorities that have found in other places backing up everything that it says. Hebrews is very much like that. I mean, the entire Bible is like that. We call it cross-referencing. In fact, I, I was thinking about this and then I went down this rabbit hole of thinking about it and I was like, whoa, I don't know how I'm gonna work this in, but uh, I'm gonna have, I have a few illustrations. One illustration to start, the first slide, if you guys could bring that up, this cross-referencing of the Bible. And, and there's um, really this way of looking at it. If you wanna bring up the other one, that's the full page here, yeah. I don't know if you can really read it and you probably can't, but I think it just helps a visual for you to understand. The, the, the Bible refers to itself constantly back and forth. So I know many of you cannot see this from far back where you need your, your glasses here, but it's, it's very small text, but Genesis is on this side and Revelation is on the other side. And it talks about really re Genesis referring to all the different books and Daniel referring back and Samuel and the Old Testament to the New Testament jumping back and forth. And if you have a Bible uh, that has cross-references, you start reading it and you notice there's little numbers or letters within your text that bring you to a verse that you can cross-reference. That same phrase which was used in Psalms was also used by Jesus on the cross. He's quoting all the way back from the Old Testament. And there's this jumping back and forth between the Old Testament, the authority of the Bible, 
uh, refers back and forth to itself and verifies itself, unlike any other document on the face of the planet. There's nothing like it. There's no text anywhere that we find like the scripture, like the word, which refers to itself and not just written at one time like a novel over the period of a year or two, but over millennia, over thousands of years, the Bible is referring back and forth to the same unified story. It's an incredible, incredible thing. The next slide, if you wanna go to that one kind of refers to the interwebbing and weaving of Hebrews and the Bible. So Hebrews is now on the left side over there and the Bible is on this side and all the books are on either side and Hebrews is over here. It has all the chapters of Hebrews going down. Chapter one, two, three, four, all the way down on the left and then Genesis all the way to Revelation down on the right and it's constantly referring to all the statements that are mentioned in Hebrews that are also found somewhere else in the scripture. And so as you read, many of you are students of the Bible, you've been in church your whole life, you'll be reading through Hebrews and, and it, the book will be constantly quoting passages from the Old, statement, uh, the, old, um, the Old Testament or making statements that someone else said at some point or, or really even just allusions to something that might sound a little confusing if you don't have an understanding of the Old Testament. So what we will be doing through this series as we walk through Hebrews, as we try to grasp the big idea of Hebrews, we can't go through every little detail, but we will be jumping back and forth to different Old Testament themes and, uh, that help us better understand what, the, what is Hebrews talking about, the author of Hebrews, what are they trying to present to us? And why is it that there is so much Old Testament in a New Testament letter? And so it's a fascinating study. And I, I, I'm very excited about this and I think it's gonna be a study that's gonna be enriching to you. It's gonna be something that at times you might have to think a little deeper, but I'm gonna be trying to draw out the big ideas for us, and yet I believe there's gonna be a lot here that you're gonna be able to study on your own, and and I think one of those tools, like I mentioned already, is that um, short little Advent journal we've been doing, Fixated Advent Meditations, from the book of Hebrews as it goes through the first couple of chapters of Hebrews and draws out the themes of Christmas and really the themes of Jesus Christ that we see in here. And so the the booth can put that away for now. but uh, really this concept that we're, we're looking at is this whole massive long story short kind of theme that's mixed into also Colossians which we looked at. If you were here for Colossians, what was the theme? Christ or Jesus is the center, right? Jesus is the center. And here in Hebrews we have the same kind of similar theme that Jesus is the center of all things and that Jesus is superior to all things. Really Jesus is better, he's greater. It's more superior than anything that comes. You can think in the New Testament, a book that is like Hebrews is the book of Romans. It's a very, it's a very theological book. It's a book that um, lays out a case. William Lane, a commentator, said Hebrews is a delight for the person who enjoys puzzles. And I almost didn't share that because I was like, well, what about the people who don't like puzzles? Now they can't like Hebrews. Well, you're just, I think you can. I think you can get over it. But I think in many times you're reading through and it is almost as if the, the, the Hebrews is like the writer is, is presenting this puzzle that as you put in the pieces, you begin to see the greater picture unfold. And it's, it's almost exciting as you, as you find out, like, I'm a little confused at that. Then you hyperlink the text go back in the Old Testament, read that passage from Leviticus, and now all of a sudden it just blows open and you're able to understand what's going on in Hebrews. So it's a, so it's a really neat challenge and, and, and uh, as a preacher, I, I find it though daunting at times to try to be able to grasp it, but I believe also Hebrews is also very complex but very simple. 
at the end, just learning that Jesus is better. It really, in the end, you could say this, there is a consistent refrain. One commentator says this, that not only as God, but now as man, Jesus is more superior to angels in chapter one, more worthy than glory, of glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house than the honor than the house itself in chapter three. Jesus is better than Joshua in chapter four. He's better than David and Aaron and Melchizedek. He provides a better hope than all of them in chapter seven. He has prepared for us a better country in chapter 11. He will raise us after death for a better life in chapter 11, verse 35. Foreign as some parts of the letter may feel to us, we are called again and again without riddle or confusion to look forward, as Lars was mentioning earlier, to look forward in pursuit of the real lasting joy, the joy of our salvation that is found in Christ and him alone. And yet Hebrews is a unique letter. It's puzzling and yet simple. It's a unique letter though that it is written and it will sound a little different than any of the other letters we read in the New Testament or that we've gone through as a church so far because Hebrews is, is presented like a sermon. Many of the letters you'll read will open up and the, the letter will say, um, greetings to you in Colossae or the, you saints in Colossae, it is I, Paul, the apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ writing to you, okay? But when we just read the very first words of Hebrews, you notice there was no greeting. There was no opening statement. There was no introduction. He just jumps right into it. He wastes no time. Now, some of you like that. You're right now, you're like, dude, you're still on your introduction. Let's get going, okay? You know, some of you like it, but some of you like a little bit of a, a working into it, an introduction. Well, well, Paul here, as I kind of feel, probably wrote the book of Hebrews, but honestly, when I say that, I'll probably slip throughout the, the times. Nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Nobody has the date, uh, in a sense, or the, the, the time stamp on it, uh, for it's not in there. Even at the end, uh, there are names mentioned, but nobody says, you know, I, Paul, wrote this letter. And so throughout church history, there's been a great debate trying to figure out who wrote Hebrews. Who wrote the letter? God ultimately wrote the letter, right? God is the author of all of scripture. Second Peter 1.21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is literally breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Ultimately, God is the source and the author of all scripture. But who did God use to pen this letter? Who is it, whose personality is kind of in this letter as they write, being moved along by the Holy Spirit and by God to write this letter and to compile it? It's a fascinating study. And so if you are a Bible nerd, uh, you can go into this and you can nerd and geek out as to who it is and what it is. And I started trying to do that and at times it was a little deep for me. But most the people in my growing up and learning about it, most people feel as if it was probably Paul, but no one's positive. In fact, church fathers in the early fourth and fifth century, Jerome and Augustine believed it was Paul. They, uh, in their writings, kind of listed it as such. Uh, others, Martin Luther, John Calvin, thought it was Apollos, actually. You know the passage that says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Many believe that it was Apollos who wrote it. 
uh, Tertullian, an early church father of the North African Christian tradition, uh, he, he wrote that it was probably Barnabas, actually, because the word uh, in here, there's a statement that it says, this is not a letter, but a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation. And Barnabas actually means encourager. And so they kind of say, is that a code word for saying this is Barnabas because it's a word of encouragement? Eastern uh, Christianity often look and affirm that it was Paul Clement of Rome speaks about Paul as having it but yet there's many lists of Paul's letters in the New Testament that don't include Hebrews and so it's like ah who is it and then recently I found it fascinating that there are some studies done in the examination of the text uh, that's more just interesting in regards to uh, many people are starting to lean to the possibility that it was actually Luke who wrote um, Hebrews, that Luke and Paul often traveled together. We know Luke is the author of Luke, but also the author of the book of Acts. And one of the reasons is because when we read Hebrews, the Greek, and I know many of you are Greek scholars, but uh, Greek is really very high level Greek. Uh, When you read like the book of Mark or some others, it's almost like, uh, you know, just common Greek, like just very average I guess you could say on the level of standard of speaking Uh, and yet when you read Acts or you read Luke or you read in particular the book of Hebrews it's kind of like PhD level Greek you know what I mean it's like a a doctor or someone else who had a a much greater or depth and a lot of education wrote there because there's a variety of words that are used there that aren't found anywhere else and so there's a unique grasp of vocabulary and Greek. And so there, there's kind of a growing consensus today that maybe Paul and Luke kind of joined together to write this book and this letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians. It's the book of Hebrews. It's not hard to figure out who it's written to. The Hebrew Christians that have um, finding that they're undergoing persecution. They're going through a dispersion. They're going through a time where they need encouragement and they need exhortation. They need a reminder that all the other things that are distracting them and trying to pull them away are not nearly even, clo- not even close to the person of Jesus. Jesus is superior to all of those things. The A.B. Davidson says the epistle is not a controversial treatise but a word of exhortation. It's written to Jewish Christians in danger. Maybe you find yourselves in that today with an American Christian. You find yourselves at times, I find that I feel like I'm in danger. Here these people lived in that. Christians in danger. They were under manifold or a variety of temptations. They were uh, constantly uh, in cultures that were calling for them to fall away from the faith of Christ. And its whole substance consists of exhortation to these Christians to hold fast. Hold fast onto the truth and the person of Jesus. Walk with courage and confidence to the end. Don't give up. And yet in the book, it's written like a sermon, as if I preach. It didn't just teach you about something, but many times there will be preaching in this exhortation that, hey, you better be careful. You better, here's a warning. So as you read through Hebrews, we're gonna find that there's a great teaching section, and then all of a sudden, boom, he lays on to you this bomb of warning. Be careful, like the red lights flash on the screen. Warning, warning, warning. In fact, if you're reading through chapter one, You read through chapter one, you're like, wow, this is really deep. And then all of a sudden, chapter two, it says, hey, people, pay attention. Chapter two, verse one, pay attention. Be careful because you might drift away, it says in chapter two. So it's very sermonic, if you would. It's like a sermon. He's positively affirming the Christian faith and the truth and right doctrine and that Jesus and the Christian faith is the absolute true religion. 
And that will, it, it will be constantly fought against as people will try to distort the person of Jesus as they are living in cultures that are doing this to them as we find ourselves in today. That, that, that's, a, that's a recurring theme. No matter where you are, you find yourself in the timeline of history. And yet, it uses the Old Testament as an outline that because you are familiar with the Old Testament and the stories of what happened and who we are as a people, but now we are a new people, a holy nation. We are this new country, this in a sense, the body, the church of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was an outline. Jesus now fills in the outline. He gives us the body and the content of the outline. He makes sense for us what all the things in the Old Testament were pointing to. It says in Hebrews that the law was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. We find that in Colossians as well. As Colossians it says that, but it says the same concept in, in Hebrews, or it teaches us that idea. And so ultimately, if you get nothing here today, that the theme of Hebrews that I've grasped, that I feel to summarize it all, is Jesus is better. You could say Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. There's nothing that rivals him on the climax and the pinnacle of all that we believe. Jesus is the climax of revelation of God. He is the climax of the word of God for he is the very word. I've used this illustration in the past, but we're, we're always in sports world, you're always debating who's the best, right? Who's the goat, greatest of all time? And I actually had somebody, when I shared that in a sermon, they came up to me afterwards like, I never knew goat stood for greatest of all time. And I was like, well, I'm glad you learned something from the sermon, right? I was like, man, if there's one takeaway, I really hope that's not it. But um, the goat, who's the greatest of all time? And you're always arguing about this quarterback or that quarterback. Who's the greatest basketball? Is it LeBron or, or Jordan? Or who's the, you know, and you go back and forth. Greatest of all, who's the greatest team? Who's the greatest shooter? Who's the greatest player? Who's the greatest goal scorer? All this stuff. When it comes to this, it's almost as if in the Hebrew faith, in the Old Testament, we have the greats like Moses and David, Joshua. And yet, it all of them were mere shadows. They were mere prophets preaching and prophesying about the coming one who would put them all to shame in a sense. Well, not put them to shame, but give them life, for he is the word of God. He is superior to the prophets. He's superior even to the greatest thing that you could ever imagine, the angels. Anytime somebody saw an angel, they cowered in fear, and the angel always responded, fear not. So even the angels, Jesus is greater than them. He's greater than Moses, Joshua, Aaron, anyone or anyone else who tries to take his position, who thinks he is better or puts himself in the place of God. Jesus is far superior. He speaks a better word than than all of these things. He's the logos, the embodied, expressed image of God, the exact imprint of God himself. He's the very rays of the sun. He's the very light by which we see the light of God. It is Jesus. And it's this God, it is this Jesus that God speaks. And so this is where we're gonna get into a little of the meat of this text for today. If you look at verse one of Hebrews one, it begins with this epic beginning. I love it because it, it does almost seem like a movie or something. Long ago, right? You know, or they lived happily ever after. I feel like that's at the end of every you know, you know, princess story, right? But here it begins, long ago, and legit, long ago, they're talking millennia, okay? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways. And also the most epic beginning to a book is actually probably in the KJV of Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. 
I love it because I grew up like memorizing this and I never fully understand, but it's in the KJV, it says, in sundry portions and diverse manners, you know, God spoke. It's just amazing. I was like, what is a sundry portion? I have no idea. But it's a many times and in many ways, sundry portions and diverse manners in a variety of ways, through a variety of cultures, through a variety of people, through a variety of timelines or, or periods of history. God has spoke. God spoke. Love that. God is speaking to us even today. God spoke in the past through the Old Testament prophets and and no, no, we're not thinking just the Jeremiah's and Isaiah's, although that's included. He's speaking generally about the entire history of the people of God. It is that God has spoken through all of them in various ways and various times, through a whole host of different ways. It was an extraordinary, the amount of ways God even spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament, right? So I hope he can speak through me today, right? But, but it's not just like, hey, the Old Testament, well, that's old and hard to understand, so just throw it out, people. You don't need it, right? Is that what he's saying? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying the Old Testament was worthless or empty. He's saying the Old Testament has now been fulfilled in the language of Jesus. The words that were spoken then are coming to fruition and fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Jesus delivers a a a past understanding of what has taken place and a present life and a future understanding of what is to come. It is all found in Jesus. He's the key that unlocks it all. He's kind of like the key that unlocks us being able to understand the language that God has been speaking in. Jesus, as John says, is the word made flesh. In fact, the songs that the worship team chose this week you know, kind of all tied into this, and I found it fascinating. I often have, go back and forth with them on, but this week it was busy, and they chose some of the songs, and I look at them like, wow. We, we sang that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We sang that he was the word made flesh. He, and it was like, that's exactly what we're talking about today. Jesus, the word of God made flesh who dwelt among us. This is the Christmas theme, is it not? But God spoke through the word, and in the past, in the Old Testament, we see actually in, in Numbers chapter 12, and I'm not gonna read it all for you, but in Numbers chapter 12, we see that there's a phrase that it actually says that God um, spoke to Moses face to face in the tent of meeting. And others are actually coming against Moses, his uh, Miriam and others, and, and, and God is reprimanding them, saying, how dare you come against Moses, for he is one I speak face to face, but to you, I have to communicate through dreams and visions, but to, you, to Moses, I speak to him face to face. That's an incredible statement. It's a fantastic understanding, but it is that God spoke to men. And, and this is great to think about how God speaks to us all now through face to face contact, through the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. We see the face of God in the little baby in a manger. Look, Jesus is, is better than the prophets, he's saying. He's better than all of that. Jesus is superior. He doesn't just speak words from God. He is God in the flesh. He is the word. This is incredibly significant, though hard to wrap our minds around at times. I understand that. God's revelation through the millennia passed down, recorded to the prophets from Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah to Ezekiel, all the way here. These men found words and, and, and these men and women received the word of God and, and what? 
It said, thus says the Lord, they would prophesy, they would speak, they would teach. Thus saith the Lord. Wow, can you imagine that? Isaiah's writing. Thus says the Lord, or Jeremiah is one that comes to mind. Jeremiah, in the very beginning of Jeremiah chapter one, he is called by God to go and preach to the people of Israel, and Jeremiah is very hesitant about it. He's young at that time as well. And, and he's like, I, I don't think I'm ready for this, very similar to Moses. Moses is like, I, I don't have the words to say, I stumble or stutter. And he's like, I'll, I'll give you Aaron. Believe me, every excuse you make is not enough for me. I'm going, to, I'm going to equip you to do what I've called you to do. Jeremiah, very similar in Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. God says to Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth. You go speak to the people on my behalf. I have put my words in your mouth. I just want us to, to think for a moment today to just allow ourselves to bask in that for a few moments. That in Hebrews 1, it said God spoke, and in these last days, he has spoken presently by his son Jesus. I don't wanna gloss over this concept, for it's, it is challenging where you're just at first face value, like that's simple, but when you start thinking about from the beginning of time, our God has been a communicating God to consider for a moment that God has been speaking from the beginning of time and is speaking now to you right where you sit. And you're like, well, I'm waiting for that voice. But if that's all we're waiting for, I think we're often missing the very voice of God that's speaking to you even right now is the Spirit of God intercedes, the Spirit of God communicates, and the Word of God, as we said earlier, pierces even to the dividing asunder. It It knows the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and brings out almost this conversation that you have in your very soul with the creator of the universe. God is speaking. Our God is not a God who is afar off. Our God is is not a God who is distant and aloof. As Elijah said of Baal, he's not a God who is busy or on vacation or relieving himself as he says. It's not a God who's just away, no, a God who is here, who is near, and in Christmas time we celebrate a God who is so close, he's able to sympathize and walk with us on the very land that we walk, in the very bodies that we take on, and speak to his disciples and to us, and now speak to us through the word of God, almost like a man speaks to another man. To consider that we serve a God who speaks, He speaks to humanity. He speaks through Jesus. He communicates. It's not always just a, as so many people portray God to be this God who can't wait to strike you with lightning. It's not a God who is like Zeus or one of these gods where it's portrayed as this powerful and angry God, but this This God who we find speaking to Elijah, I think it is, in a still small voice. We always look for the bombastic and the extreme and yet very often I find the voice of God is speaking in a conversation with me in my very heart. A God who is in tune with my spirit. A God who, it says in Romans, knows the very words that I need to say when I don't even know them when I don't even know how to communicate, the Spirit intercedes. The very God that speaks the world into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing, 
there is something. That God speaks life and makes a new creation within our very lives. God spoke in the past and now he has reached the pinnacle of his speaking which is through his son Jesus Christ. That is an epic declaration and one that brings joy to us because we can also converse in relationship with this God as he speaks to us and we pray to him. We have relationship with the one who speaks. I don't know how God's speaking to you today or what he's trying to tell to you or impress upon you, but I am blown away so often when when I don't know how to explain this stuff very well at times and I feel as if I have you know, um, given a message that was more confusing to understand than anything else and there's someone who says, you know, it was as if God was speaking to me from this thing that you said and I was like, I don't even know how that's possible. For I, I didn't maybe intend but the spirit verifies for us that his word will not return void. God speaks through even very often what feels like very incapable instruments as we shared in the funeral on Wednesday, a jar of clay like myself could potentially hold a treasure of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we as jars of clay could be filled with the living power of God to speak forth life through the words of God through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so There's so many things that on this statement that I I found myself just pausing on. I couldn't rush through and I couldn't grasp it. It's even one of those things that I'm still trying to, you know, like I don't feel if I fully understand it and yet Sunday still comes and I have to get up here and talk about it. But but in Hebrews 1, God spoke. Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days, which is presently now, he is speaking in a sense or he has spoken to us right now by his son Jesus. Jesus in this Advent devotional, Tim Chester talks about how Jesus is this final word that he speaks. A final word. He's the climax of God's revelation. What was promised is now fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is not a replacement but a resolution. Jesus is the final word, the last word of what God is saying. And he's also the first word as he says, Tim Chester says, he speaks to us in his language. Almost as this new language that he's communicating. He's given us the key to understanding the language of God. For he has spoken to us in son. He says actually a way to translate this statement is he has spoken to us by his son. But you could also say he has spoken to us in son. Or you could say the language of son. Many of you speak English, right? Or Spanish, some, right? right? Many of you speak Finnish, okay? Right, we have a variety of languages. We speak different languages. God speaks, as it says in this passage, as almost an illustration here, you could say that it is as if God speaks to us in the language of Jesus. His language is son language. (laughs) His language he speaks to you is the language of Jesus. Jesus helps us interpret and understand God. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. We cannot behold God's glory apart from Jesus in its fullness but he has sent us God. It's as almost as if he's translating himself when he spoke through dreams and prophecies and now the son is God's native language for the son is eternal word of God. He is God's eternal act of self-expression. Son speak. 
We think back of all the ways that God has been communicating to us, all the ways that God has been revealing himself from the very beginning of time. God spoke the world into existence. God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, reveals his name. I am Yahweh, I am that I am. God spoke to Moses face to face in the tent of meeting. He spoke to him on Mount Sinai and his face was radiating. God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice, to the prophets of warnings and judgments to the people of Israel. Then almost this silent period of 400 years of the intertestamental period between Old Testament and New Testament. It's like, what's going on? Is God speaking? Is God here? Is God gone? And all of a sudden, you open up your Bible in Matthew chapter one, Luke chapter one, and it's as if God speaks in a, ver- in, in a way that he's never spoken before. And all of a sudden, angels and messengers from God speak to mankind, to people like Mary and Joseph, to Zechariah, to Elizabeth. The angels appear to shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter one, Zechariah said as he's been spoken to by an angel, speaking of John the Baptist, how shall I know this is true? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. The angel says to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be their salvation. God communicates, speaks, John says this word, this logos has been made flesh, is the embodiment of God, it is God himself. He was there in the beginning and he is now with us. This word spoke to us, the divine word of God. He does not come to bear witness about the light for he is the light. He is the true light which gives light to everyone who sits in darkness. The light of Christmas that we talk about, that we sing about. His word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And Jesus then eventually gets up in the synagogue. Do you remember this? After his baptism and after his temptations in the wilderness, he gets up in the synagogue in Nazareth, I believe it is, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, and I believe it's Isaiah 61, and he gets up and he says, what have I come here to do? He's like giving his introduction message to his, and he says, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me, right? And he has anointed me to proclaim or to preach the good news to the poor. To preach, to speak, to speak as the word and the authority of God. Not a prophet that speaks on behalf of God, but to speak as God to his people of whom he loves. He speaks his word, speaks life, He speaks life into us and even our faith today is being spoken into. For the word in Romans 10 says our faith is formed, our faith is kept alive through the hearing and the believing of the word of God. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You hear and you believe on the word. You feed on the word and you know that God is speaking through the pinnacle of the word which is Jesus. He is all that we need. And so the challenge I think for us today is to get into the word, to get really understanding what that true word is. For this true word, this true Jesus looks like this. For all of that leads us to these final quick points as we close. That ultimately in verse two and three, uh, specifically in verse three, it says that Jesus is this incredible 
radiant image. Like he radiates the glory of God. He allows us to see the brightness of God's glory that would otherwise strike you dead. Now allows you to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It says here in verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. You ever seen those hazmat suits that people wear? Um, particularly around like Chernobyl or something, <laughs> where something is radiation, is, and you can get radiation poisoning, and it's everywhere, and so they wear this massive suit to protect them from almost, you could say, the proverbial glow of radiation. And if you're infected with radiation poisoning, you, in a sense, almost glow, <laughs> okay? And so the person of Moses, as we referenced earlier, literally came down from the mountain. The people were afraid because Moses' face was glowing, was shining, and he needed to wear a veil, in fact. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, where it says that we all with unveiled face, it's as if we all now can with unveil our face, take off the hazmat suit, and encounter the glory of God because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our sin held us back. Now we have this relationship with God. It's like, what? A.W. Pink says, Christ is the irradiation of God's glory. The mediator's relation to the Godhead is like that of the rays of the sun itself. We may conceive of the sun in the sky, yet shining not. Were there no rays, we should not see the sun. So apart from Christ, the brightness of God's glory could not be perceived by us. Without Christ, man is in the dark, utterly in the dark concerning God. It is in Christ that God is completely revealed. Colossians, as we studied, as I've already mentioned, Colossians 1, I think it's 15, says he is the visible image the invisible God. This is our Jesus. Jesus, as it goes on, says he is the exact imprint of God. Verse three, the exact imprint. The, almost the visible image, the, the exact thing. It is almost as if he is the fingerprint of God. The word uh, could also be translated the exact representation of God's being. The word representation is the word character in the Greek. It's also used here in the New Testament to refer to an instrument that was used for engraving. Almost, you could say, minting coins. That was, there was an exact representation of that gold coin that was poured into the mold, and that coin was minted, or something that was pressed down that represented the authority of Caesar was stamped on that coin, and wherever that coin went, it had the authority of the exact representation of the face of King Caesar, you could say. Jesus is even more than that. For no illustration perfectly represents the person of Jesus. So the author of Hebrews is doing his best trying to give us an understanding that Jesus is the exact imprint. Not just a likeness like us. We are made in the image. We are a likeness of God, but we are not God. He is God. And I think so often my people ask with my kids, you know, who does he look like? Does he look more like your side of the family or does he look like uh, your wife's side of the family, right, you know? You often get that, does he look more like his dad or his mom, right? Who does Jesus look more like, you know? So, I mean, these illustrations, like, it, it, they're, they're limited. And when we discuss the Trinity, it's like we just can't fully grasp it. We have to trust and believe. Jesus, it's like he's a spitting image of his father, you know? But far more than that, he, he is the word. And then ultimately, this word is, is, yes, he looks like God, he is God, he speaks with authority, unlike anything seen before, and when he casts out demons, they say, who is this man that speaks with such authority even to forgive sins? And it says, this man, who is that speaks with a word like this, it says in Luke. He speaks with words that have authority, carry weight. 
This also word, this God, it says in uh, Colossians 1.17 that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. It is by his word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. What does it say? By word of his power he upholds the universe. He upholds the world. You get that dumb song, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, okay? Right? Maybe you'll remember that today. He's got the whole world. I'm not gonna sing it, but he's got the whole world in his hands, you know. Literally, (laughs) Jesus holds, it says, he upholds the world in his hands. And then not even that, he upholds the world by a word of his power. Word that spoke the world into existence. Jesus, as the communicated word and embodied in flesh like us, dwells among us. That Jesus upholds the universe. I love this power. It doesn't say the world. It says the universe by the word of his power. 1 Corinthians 8. For us there's one God, the Father, and by whom all things exist, and by whom all things are, the one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. I think it was said earlier, Val had shared it from this devotional. I think it was last Sunday. Jesus is for life not just for Christmas. He's not just the reason for the season. He's the meaning of everything. He's not just the point of Christmas. He's the purpose of life. Jesus is better. (laughs) He is far superior. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the world by his power. He holds the universe by his power and ultimately this word, this Jesus is being communicated to you today through this humble message that the best I can do and through the word of God every time you open it. And as I began, I began, do you remember, in Hebrews 4.12, we can bring that up on the screen as I close before I pray. We began with Hebrews 4.12. And I, I didn't want this just to be an exercise where yes, we are worshiping God when we read and discuss about Jesus and we worship him as we encounter him in the word. Uh, I wanted this to be also a message that's similar to Hebrews that cuts down to your core because it does provide warning. And in this passage, there is not only beautiful worship of God as his word is powerful, it is living and active, but there is also something that cuts right down to your core. And it's something that convicts you even to your heart, that makes sure and reminds you that you better listen to this word. That you don't want to miss this, right? He's saying, this word is powerful. It will cut right through you if you let it, right? But so often, as the word says, instead of cutting down to us, we do as Pharaoh did, we harden our heart. In fact, in that passage of Hebrews 4, it speaks of that. The people of God hardened their hearts against God. They didn't want to receive the rest that Joshua would give, or they didn't want to receive the rest that God was trying to give them. They hardened their heart, and they did not want to receive the word. But the word of God, when God speaks, it has power. And he speaks with such power that it is living, and it is active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces pierces right down to the division of our soul and our spirit into the joints and the marrow. It discerns the very thoughts and the intentions of our heart. That you might be able to fake it, but the Lord knows, and his word knows where you are. 
And I may not be able to discern from your outward appearance where you find yourself in, in relationship to God or far away from God. You find yourself in this building at this moment, but do you find yourself communicating with God, following and believing in the word of God? Do you find your faith strengthened by the hearing of his word? Do you find yourself following him as the shepherd of your soul? Or do you find yourself floating along and avoiding this word, hardening your heart against it? Or do you allow it to come into your life and pierce even to the discerning your very thoughts and the intentions of your heart? So the fact is that I understand that when the word of God is preached, when Jesus is presented before you, no creature can hide from the sight of God and his word. We are all, every one of us, myself included, all in the same level playing field, naked and exposed before the eyes of him before whom we will give an account one day because his word has been communicated to you. It is not that God and his word is distant and aloof and you have never heard of him. But in fact, the Bible is saying you have now a responsibility that is greater than others for you have received the word of God right now, right today, as you've grown up in this church potentially. You have been around and encountered the word of God. You have access to it. You have encountered Jesus in a way that is powerful and it is life-changing and it is transformative and it's amazing. It is. It's truly amazing. But the warning is, listen to the word. Listen to the word. Listen to the word of God because this word that Jesus provides for us in all that he is as we learn to follow his way is far better than anything you could ever dream of. It's life and eternal life found in the person and the work of Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for your word. I don't know how else to say it. For all that it is and represents to us today, here even in, in modern 21st century, we think about, God, how elite we are. And yet, God, we, we still need the same thing. As anyone else who has gone before us, all those prophets, all those people who have gone long before us, have all, Lord, encountered you in a way that you have spoken to us today. And we all need you just the same. We all need you today to, to speak to us again, to remind us of these truths, to confirm them within us as we hear us, Lord. Hear your word preached, Lord. Help us to build and bolster our faith in you, our trust in you. God, we sing and we praise you, Lord, with these Christmas carols and these Christmas time. God, help us not to lose sight that you are the reason for the season, but you are also the reason for the entire reason we exist. And we praise you, God, and worship you, for you are good, and you are, you are all that we need. And we praise you today, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>